Satnam, beautiful Sabramon Satnam. So today on the Sabramon Women podcast, we are breaking the silence on a topic that is way too often neglected and is also kept in the shadows so often. What I'm referring to is generational toxic relationship patterns, specifically understanding and healing our intimacy blockages and sexual health problems caused many times by patterns of generational trauma, especially sexual abuse traumas and dysfunctions that are part of our lineage. We're going to be addressing these more than common patterns. We're going to be looking at these patterns and disruption as a not just a personal victory, but as an act of reclaiming our power, our intimacy, and ensuring that no one else in your entire lineage will ever have to go through these same patterns. What we're going to do is we're going to explore what intimacy is versus sex. What are the reasons why so many relationships struggle with both and what childhood trauma, especially childhood sexual abuse problems have to do with these blockages. We're going to look at the spiritual and scientific perspective of healing our intimacy problems and sexual energy. And we're going to explore the transformative power of integrating both spiritual insights with also scientific methodologies so that we can uncover why it is important for us to heal our nervous system and brain because of these traumas in order to heal our sexual energy and intimacy problems and what happens when we actually do the healing work that can lead us to true intimacy, feeling safe in our bodies and fostering deep beautiful, intimate relationships with ourselves, with others, and with God. So welcome, and thank you so, so much for being here. I am very, very passionate about this subject matter. In fact, when I first began, the vision of the Sovereign Women Academy as it was being downloaded to me, this was one of the patterns that I was so passionate about helping other women disrupt as well. Because understanding our sexual nature from a place of healing and reverence is crucial. For many sexual issues, particularly those that have stemmed, have stemmed because of childhood trauma, they manifest in all types of forms of dysfunctions. And they affect our ability to forge deep, meaningful connections with others. But by exploring both the spiritual perspectives and the scientific insight in today's podcast, what we're doing is we're going to illuminate this path to disrupting these patterns of sexual abuse, of intimacy challenges, so that we can become empowered and reconnect with our divine essence. Everything is healable. Everything is healable. Now let's begin first by talking about what is the difference between intimacy versus sexual health. So to understand this, we have to understand that in romantic relationships, many times sex and intimacy are used very interchangeably. But there is a significant and distinct difference between the two. When we talk about intimacy, true intimacy involves a level of emotional connection. There's a level of trust that brings people actually closer together. And there are three types of intimacy, actually. There's emotional intimacy, which is this deep feeling of closeness and trust with someone else. Then there's physical intimacy, which includes touching in a way that enhances maybe the feelings of closeness and desire. And then there's also sexual intimacy, which combines the physical act of sex with also emotional closeness and trust. Now, in general, intimacy involves 
some kind of particular level of closeness. It does evolve some kind of emotion versus sex. Now, sex can be a little bit complicated to actually discuss. I'm going to give you the scientific term as well as the spiritual perspective term. So what it means, sex strictly means physical sex, right? Like no matter the form, sex involves some kind of arousal, some kind of physical desire, some kind of physical response to a stimulus. Sex by itself doesn't necessarily require intimacy. In fact, you're seeing this happen in our culture right now with the horrific hookup culture of just sleeping one night stands, which all is derived from childhood trauma, which I'm going to share with you today. Some very staggering statistics and shocking statistics that are going to blow your mind. But this hookup culture that has been created because of all this trauma proves that sex in itself doesn't require intimacy. For some people, intimacy is implied when discussing sex, especially in a relationship. But for others, you know, we know that sex can occur in a very impersonal and a very disconnected manner. Now, in these cases, the definition of intimacy doesn't even apply. But contrary to what some may believe, sex really does not occur without an emotional element. And we're going to talk about that as you understand the scientific perspective, because regardless of whether you are in love or not with the person which you are exchanging your body with, there is auric, there is karmic energy. In fact, in women, all of your sexual encounters, all of your sexual activities, they become stuck in what is known as part of the aura, which is our arc line. And there are specific meditations that we practice to clear the sexual partners from the arc line. Why is that important? Because these are energetic cords. Even if you had the one night stand and you don't even know the person, these are energetic cords that get stuck to you. And so what we need to understand that is in our culture, we're taught to just view sex in terms of some kind of pleasure or maybe even reproduction. But we're not taught, and this is what we're going to look at in the scientific solution of how important sex actually is to our health, how important it is to maintain our nervous system balance, our brain. The sexual experience in itself helps our consciousness. It can give you the experience of God and bliss. My teacher used to call this a fifth dimensional orgasm. But before that can ever occur, you're going to have to charge your sexual batteries and you're going to have to do deep healing work because the reason you have sexual or sexual problems or intimacy problems has nothing to do with your, uh, a little bit to do with your physical body. I'll share with you the five ways it does, but there's a deeper reason, a deeper core reason why you're not able to be intimate with someone, why you are not able to truly have fifth dimensional orgasms and enjoy sex. So why do so many relationships suffer with this pattern of lack of intimacy or sexual health problems? What I've even noticed is that the older people get, the more they, they just accept that their sex life has to get worse or that it's only going to get worse with time. And that can't, that is the farthest lie from the truth. And I can prove it to you scientifically and spiritually today. But why do so many couples struggle with this. Remember, all this month, we're looking at breaking and disrupting the pattern of toxic relationships. We've looked at abandonment, infidelity. We've looked at uh, ways that trauma has impacted us. How does it impact our sexual and intimacy in many ways? 
I'm going to share with you five different ways. But really, out of these five, there's only one core reason why you might have sexual dysfunction, sexual problems. You might have a promiscuity issue. You might have issues with intimacy where you might have sex, but you don't enjoy it or it's painful, or perhaps you just are not intimate, truly emotionally connected with the, your partner. So the first reason is pretty simple to understand, and it has to do with our physical body. So for example, if you have high blood pressure, if you have diabetes, if you have a heart disease, if you have some kind of cancer, if there's a reduction to the blood flow to your genitalia, to your sexual organs, that reduces arousal, right? If a woman is struggling with her hormones, how many women right now are not struggling with their hormones? Very few. But issues with the hormonal levels can also affect your sex drive, your arousal. They can even make you feel painful or discomfort sex. And there's many different reasons why that happens. But the physical body obviously does play a part into why we have these issues with intimacy and sex. Now, the other reason is psychological. Now, if you struggle with your mental health, like anxiety or depression, it's going to be very challenging to maintain your libido because there's going to be a lot of other things that are going on inside your mind, right? That are going to affect your mood. They're going to get, they're going to affect you getting in the mood, which is going to be really, really difficult if you're under a lot of stress. You also might be dealing with a lot of feelings of insecurity if you're going through a lot of anxiety and depression, which then lower your confidence and then not make you actually even want to have any type of sex drive. Now, the other thing about this is number three, which is our lifestyle and our routine. So that is directly correlated with stress. So I'm either too busy, always working, too tired, too stressed. When we start to feel these emotions in our daily lives, what starts to happen, and this is especially true for women, is that sex just takes a back seat. So it's almost like you're trying to sort out the kids, school, the social life, and then you're going to have to include sex somewhere in the equation. And being tired, not having enough vitality is a for sure enemy of sexual desire or even having sex in general. Now, the fourth reason is serious, and it's one of the core reasons, but not the most important one. The fourth reason is expectation and comparison. And what this is and what it has to do with is it's concern because you think sex should be experienced like it's portrayed on TV, on the media, or on porn sites. Porn is a horrible addiction that has been banned in many other countries. In fact, the country who created porn banned it in their own country because they knew what it was made for. And they infiltrated it into all these other countries, including the United States of America. Children now younger and younger have access to porn. And what people don't realize is that porn is an actual addiction. And the reason it's an addiction is because it physically destroys your brain and your nervous system. It's spiritual warfare. I truly do believe that there are subliminal messages that are input into pornography, that are demasculating men. That's why you have so many men that are confused as it relates to their genders. And we also have so many women. Look at all the children that are now growing up so confused with genders. Gender has to do with your ego. It has nothing to do with who you are at the root core. But if you are exposed to pornography at a young age, which is what's happening because of the access to phones, 
your perception of what sex should is completely shifts. Your brain, which is still developing, especially as a young person, is completely being fractured and impaired. And then you wonder why you have so many kids that have so many sexual issues. On top of the staggering statistics that I'm going to share with you right now as it relates to sexual abuse and one of the biggest patterns of generational karma that does not usually get broken. So pornography is something that has been infiltrated into our communities, into our world in order to keep people dumbed down, in order to spiritually attack relationships and really what is shown even that People who use pornography have a staggering higher rate of being cheating on their couple or being unfaithful with their couple. Why? Because it's programming. Anything you watch and consume, anything is programming your mind. So imagine if you're constantly consuming what is not the true act of sex, what is not the true act of intimacy. You start to believe that that's what sex should be. And then when you do have sex at home and it's not like that, you start to compare and you start to say, what is wrong? Why doesn't it look like that? And for women, especially if they don't participate in the pornography, it is emotional uh, cheating. It makes a woman feel less than, especially because they don't realize that it's not personal, that if their partner is addicted to porn, that it literally is deteriorating their brain and their nervous system. And they wonder, why does he just continue to go to porn if I'm right here? And then they make it about themselves. They get insecure. They think that they should look like those women on those on movies. So it's a double-edged sword where it's literally hurting people in every aspect. And many men especially need healing from this because this is spiritual warfare and attack on society. And this is why you're seeing so many issues with sexual abuse, which leads us to the next reason why we have issues with sexual intimacy and sexual and sex in general. And that has to do with negative experiences. So maybe in the past you were humiliated during sex. Maybe you didn't consent to it. Maybe there was rape. Maybe there was child abuse. Maybe there was sexual child abuse. All of this can cause serious avoidance towards you wanting to engage in sex in the future because now you've labeled it as a bad experience. This is the biggest blockage. It's not just sexual abuse. It's your childhood. It's what your parents mirrored to you about sex and about intimacy. I want to take a moment to share with you some staggering, shocking, shocking statistics about childhood sexual abuse. So that you can understand why at the core of this pattern of lack of intimacy and sexual trauma, we're talking about the inability to disrupt the generational patterns of sexual abuse that get tucked under the rug in our lineages. First and foremost, there are more than 42 million survivors of sexual abuse in America, just in America, 42 million survivors. One in three girls are sexually abused before the age of 18. One in three girls. You're sitting in a room with six girls. Two of them have been sexually abused. This is data from the Advocacy Center. One in five boys are sexually abused before the age of 18. 
One in five children are solicited sexually while on the internet before they even turn 18. 30% of sexual abuse is actually never reported. Why? 90% of child sexual abuse victims actually know the perpetrator in some way, a family member, a friend of the family. This is from the U.S. Department of Justice. 90% of child sexual abuse victims know the perpetrator. So what happens? The problem keeps repeating itself because it goes unacknowledged. There's no healing. And people don't realize the tremendous amount of physical, emotional, and spiritual deterioration of the brain, of the nervous system, and of the soul of a child, especially, who goes through any type of sexual abuse. We have to understand that sexual abuse, many children don't even remember that it happened to them until later on in life when they start to get into therapy and healing or perhaps the memories start to come back. And many times when children speak up, they're not acknowledged. It's something so horrific that nobody knows how to deal with it. Sometimes the child might feel like their perpetrator is actually being protected over their own inner peace because nobody wants to rock the boat. But what we have to understand is that children and people who have gone through sexual abuse can't just get over it. There are serious issues that happen to the brain. For example, during sexual assaults, during any type of sexual abuse, a victim's sympathetic nervous system starts to release stress hormones throughout the brain. It's always preparing for fight or flight. So what does that do? It leaves the mind and the body in constant survival mode. Even a child that cannot remember the sexual abuse. This is why I'm telling you, if you have a child that is going through a lot of anxiety, a lot of depression, if the child is going through a lot of physical issues, illnesses, immune diseases that you can't figure out why they're going through that, you need to dig deeper. You need to ask bigger questions about what is going on in their life. Because if a child is going through sexual abuse, remember, children are innocent, beautiful beings of light. When a perpetrator abuses them, especially if it's someone that they know, they don't know what that that is bad. They've never been exposed to sexuality and things of that nature. So they don't realize that it's bad. It's sometimes until years later that they realize what happened to them was horrific because they started to put two and two together. And during that time, the brain is constantly thinking it's still under fight and flight thinking that it's still going through some serious attack, even though the attack is not happening in that exact moment. What also happens after assault is the brain starts to undergo these biological changes that are very similar to those who suffer from occupational post-traumatic stress disorder, PTSD, like those people like first responders or even war veterans. These changes bring on continued activation of the sympathetic nervous system, which will then continue to release these nasty stress hormones. Remember we talked about hormonal imbalance being one of the obstructions of, of having a, a healthy sexual life? Well, why is it? Because if you've been under trauma, especially sexual abuse, especially special sexual abuse trauma, then you're constantly flooding your system 
with cortisol, with adrenaline unconsciously, which is creating the hormonal imbalance, which is creating exhaustion in the body and in your mind. In addition to this, there are two parts of the brain that are changed in all sexual abuse victims. Number one is the amygdala. Because after the trauma of sexual abuse, this almond-shaped mass located deep inside the brain, it starts to become really overstimulated. And it associates the traumatic experience with these specific emotions that we call triggers. So then it starts to identify harmless situations just because there's a remembrance of that, the smell, the, the sight. And it starts to think it's back in that situation, which puts us in a hypervigilance, overstimulated state of consciousness. This is what anxiety is. This is what depression is. The other part of the brain that gets deeply impacted is the prefrontal cortex. And now this area of the brain is the last to fully mature as an adult. And it's still developing even in your young adulthood. It handles your planning, your attention, impulse control, among other issues that it does for us. And it helps keep other areas of the brain functioning properly. So what happens when there's sexual trauma? It leaves survivors hypervigilant, paranoid. It can worsen, of course, their academic performance, their work performance. Why? Because of the impact of the brain. There's an area of the brain also that is known as the hippocampus. And this part of the brain then becomes less active after trauma. The stress hormones kill its cells. It weakens its ability to consolidate memories, its ability to understand that the violent event that happened to them in the past is actually no longer happening right now. It constantly thinks you're back there, even if it was 20, 30 years ago, unconsciously. So we can't just tell somebody who's been through sexual abuse to just get over it. And also, talk therapy is not enough because talk therapy does not address the dysfunctions that occurred with the brain the dysfunctions that are now occurring with the nervous system because the brain also has been impacted and affected. This is why this is another reason why the pattern continues because we haven't addressed the physical components. When somebody's going through depression or anxiety because of sexual abuse or some kind of trauma, what do we do in the West? We give them a pharmaceutical. We put a Band-Aid instead of addressing the root cause, which is restructuring of the brain. And I'm going to talk about solutions right now and some incredible data that has come to us from Kundalini Yoga research and science that shows and completely debunks the myth of science and medicine that we cannot restore the brain's functionality after trauma. Now, the other reason why the pattern continues is our inability to forgive. Sexual intimacy problems and sexual pattern or sexual abuse patterns continue 100% of the time because our our inability to forgive. And I know that you might be saying, why are you, like, that's so unfair. You're, this happened to me. Now you're telling me that on top of it happening to me, I have to do the work to forgive the person? Like, what kind of bull crap is that? I'm telling you, we are all in a university that we call life. God did not create the abuse, but God was there with you through it. And when we learn that the process of spiritual psychotherapy and forgiveness is not about changing the event or pretending that it wasn't there. In fact, the first step of healing is acknowledgement. A child will heal if the child is finally seen, even as an adult. But what we're doing is that we're shifting our perception 
to understand that the event or experience, which is really what trauma is, happened not because of our level of worth, not because we deserved it, not because of how we were dressed, not because we are, we should have responded differently. We should have fought back. We should have, you know, defended ourselves because isn't that what, what children say as they grow up and adults? I mean, I should have done this differently. I should have done that. I should have done that, which keeps their mind completely in this uh, hamster wheel of what could have happened if I would have done things differently. The spiritual psychotherapy work of forgiveness allows you to shift your perception and to understand that what has occurred never occurred because of your level of worth or because you attracted it, that it occurred because there was another unconscious individual who was projecting out their pain to you, that it was an unconscious hurt individual. This is why the pattern continues. I guarantee you 100% of the people that you've asked that they are perpetrators of child sexual abuse, that they themselves were abused. And that this doesn't mean like, now I feel sorry for them. Now we shouldn't uh, put them in a place where they can't hurt anyone else. There are so many different situations and scenarios with this type of subject matter that it's really an individual individual case. Absolutely. Other children should be protected. We should absolutely make sure that this individual or perpetrator is not hurting other children. But many times when these perpetrators are confronted, if you realize, you know, that there was a one-time uh, thing that occurred and that they've lived in guilt and are ready to take accountability and forgive, which is not often, it, those, those situations are rare. In my experience, in my opinion, I think most of the time these perpetrators have, they've done it once, especially as adults, that they're going to need serious help to make sure that they don't do it again. But of course, there's been child sexual abuse when children have been younger by other young children and all these different things where perhaps the child has grown up and repented and realized that what he or she did was horrific. So that's what I'm saying. There's so many different scenarios. In either case, even if your perpetrator has died, even if they're no longer in your life, you still have to do the work of forgiveness. Because here's what happens when most women don't understand. This is why the pattern repeats itself. We don't do the work of forgiveness, so we live in constant fear. Remember what I just told you about the nervous system and the brain, right? So we live in constant fear. So what are we doing? We're projecting out the energy of fear. And because we're in constant fear, we have post-traumatic stress disorder. So then we have children. And then we start to worry about this happening to our child again. And then why does that become a self-fulfilling prophecy? Because as a mother, if you would have done the work of forgiveness, you wouldn't be in a constant state of fear, which is the energy that is surrounding your child as well. And perpetrators or the dark side smell, they know energetically specifically which child to go after. They say that perpetrators really look and focus on where the father is absent and missing, especially because then, you know, there's not going to be as serious repercussions. Maybe they think that way, but in, in an energetic standing, the reason why this keeps being repeated is you're so afraid of it happening to your child because you haven't forgiven yourself. You haven't forgiven the perpetrator. You haven't done the healing work to really understand that it had nothing to do with your worth or who you are. And then that energy is what creates the energy vibration of where your children are growing up. And that is a magnet that starts to magnify these experiences to you. 
So it does become a self-fulfilling prophecy versus when we learn to do the forgiveness work. And I'm not saying you're going to let this person back into your life. I'm not saying you're going to hang out with them or whatever. For many people, they can do that. And would Jesus Christ say to do that? Absolutely. Christ would say everything is forgivable. If you truly understand that person was crying out for help. And if you forgive them, you give them what they came to get and they will never do this again. So us not forgiving is giving them the opposite of what our brother Christ would give them. And then guess what? They're going to continue the pattern because we're not helping them out. Now, this is why I have a, a, a program, a, a one-year academy. I mean, it's not open for a woman right now where we go through. This is not overnight. If I were to see a client for the first time, they told me that they've had sexual abuse, trauma, and that it's been repeated in their generations. We're not going to start here, right? We're going to work our energy levels, which we're going to talk about right now, how to fix this so that we can get to a point where what I'm saying to you actually resonates with your heart. It's a process. Forgiveness is a ladder that we climb, but it is something that we cannot bypass if we do not want the pattern to continue. So let's talk about solutions now, because that's what we want to really get to. So first, spiritually, like I was just sharing, we have to understand that childhood trauma and its effects are tremendous. We have to understand that it impacts our sense of safety within our bodies and our relationships. And we have to also understand that sexual abuse, when not acknowledged, especially, or because you don't remember or talk about it, that that forces the child to live in two worlds, even as an adult. In one world where it did happen, and in the second world where it never happened. And what needs to occur, and this is part of the healing journey, is the process of awareness, acknowledgement, and then the ability to then foster a new environment for the healing to occur at the level of the mind, nervous system, and brain. To again remind yourself that you did not, you are not at fault for whatever has occurred, that it is not your fault and that it is also not wrong for you to speak up because that's going to rock the boat, make people uncomfortable, or maybe even put someone in jail. Everything is forgivable with the right approach. Everything is, but you have to really understand that through your heart first in order to get to the actual solutions. The spiritual solution is the path of forgiveness. Now, the scientific solution is a little bit deeper because the scientific solution has to do with a few things. The nervous system, the brain, what is known as our root chakra, which is an energetic brain within our energy system that becomes completely traumatized where we do not feel safe and grounded in our bodies. You see... One of the things that we've been studying a lot in Kundalini Yoga Therapy, uh, last Saturday, I just attended their, their international symposium with a lot of different uh, doctors, therapists, scientists who brought forth so much data and, and research that they've done as it relates to Kundalini Yoga used therapeutically in very serious traumatic settings. And this includes war, all types of trauma, which lead to some serious physical and mental diseases. And one of the things that they shared was, for example, we have to understand that first, 
sex and, and intimacy has a lot to do with the seminal fluids that are produced in the male and also produced uh, from females, which contain a very high concentration of minerals and elements that are actually really crucial to help restore nerve balance and brain functioning. So not having sex is actually going to make you sicker. I know that there's a lot of uh, traditions that that really foster abstinence and things of that nature to, to sustain the, the energy flows. Kundalini yoga is a Raj yoga. It's, it's a householder yoga. It was made for business owners, you know, the kings and the queens, people with day-to-day -day lives. And also the science really behind intimacy and sex proves that it is good for our health to actually engage in sexual activity. And in fact, according to yogic tradition, um, these fluids that the man and the woman produce, not only do they impact the brain, but they're called ojas. And ojas are reabsorbed by the body. So if we allow these, these ojas, these minerals to actually mature within the body through sexual intercourse and through intimacy, then what happens is that this is energy that is then transferred into the spinal fluid. And you're only as young as your spine is flexible, but we have to remember also that the spinal fluid, then these ojas, these minerals and run your brain. And if you don't have ojas, if you don't have these minerals that are produced through sex for women and male, then it's kind of like running your brain on or running your car without oil. So what happens if you're running your car without oil, you're going to wear it out quickly, right? So it was said that the main use of sexual energy was actually to repair and rejuvenate the organs of the body. And if the body's well cared for, and there's good nutrition, right? Because the mind is healed, then the yogi will maintain her and his potency and sexual interests throughout the entire lifespan. So if you have a sexual health problem, we're talking about these seminal fluids that are called ojas that you need to revamp and create more of in order to impact the brain. So how do we do that? Well, the other, where I was going with this is the trauma-informed data and research that has come out because there have been so many studies now that prove something that medicine once said was impossible, which is that the restoration of our brain or the brain functionality can never be restored once people go through severe trauma or even physical destruction of the brain. And one of the most breakthrough statements and discoveries that was made in the symposium last, in, in last Saturday where I attended is this uh, incredible presentation that was given to us from Kundalini Yoga therapists that have been working in Ukraine, where they've been working with war veterans and also even the spouses of war veterans, where Kundalini Yoga is being called the breakthrough medicine of this war era because of the science behind what they've discovered with working with the specific uh, group of people that have gone through a lot of trauma. And what they've discovered is that not only are they experiencing some incredible benefits because there's a program that now the Ukraine government is working with Kundalini Yoga therapists to bring to the military men. And not only are they reporting the ability 
to not be so distracted from their thoughts. They're removing mental and physical fatigue. They're help, it, it's helping them concentrate and, and really make the right decisions. It's giving them emotional stability and balance. This is what they're reporting. Improvement of sleep. You know how, how horrible sleep can be if you've been through a lot of trauma. They're finding inner peace and confidence that everything will be fine. Isn't this so important for military people who go through so much depression? And because there are also so much damage to the brain, sometimes because of physical damage and the emotional, what they're reporting is complete restoration. And that's the whole thing. There's other studies that have been done on specific meditations like the Curtain Kriya, which I've talked about a lot before in my podcast episode that the Alzheimer's Association has been doing studies for on this meditation on Kundalini Yoga. And it's not just stopping Alzheimer's in its track, it's restoring the memory functionality. It's bringing back memory to the brain. So it's it, it completely debunks what science has told us for so long, that once the brain goes corrupt, it's unhealable. And, the, and these studies are now completely showing different, completely different approaches as to what we're discovering with these practices to help alleviate all of these different issues that come with especially physical trauma. Now, <clears throat> there are other studies that I'll talk about more deeply as we move through the podcast episode, but just know that in other countries, there are also uh, foster homes that are being uh, given Kundalini Yoga therapy, the children, and the, the caseworkers, where remember, these are children that have gone through some of the most traumatic experiences of their life. And through these practices, through an eight-week program, they're able to restore emotional balance and bring happiness and emotional stability to these children. Because what they've discovered is that Kundalini Yoga is very different than any other type of yoga. It actually is, there's a lot of repetition, there's there's chanting, there's, there's movement, right, of the inner world. And for people that have gone through really serious trauma, being still is very difficult. Going into deep states of meditation is tremendously difficult. You have to remember why. If we have all these hormones running through our body, adrenaline, cortisol, that's why the, these uh, individuals are not able to sit still and especially to do some kind of meditation that's just going to put them in a, in a coma. And what they notice, these um, uh, Kundalini Yoga therapists, is that Kundalini Yoga was actually a very beautiful and appropriate work for them because it was stimulating them. It was helping them be more vocalized. If you chant, you're not just sitting there in stillness. You're actually moving energy with your voice, which is very, very important for someone who has been through some seriously traumatic these um, experiences. And so when we look at the approach of actually healing, we have to look at and take both the scientific and the spiritual perspective. Now, in today's podcast episode, I'm not going to be sharing an actual technique, but if you uh, would like to join us as a woman inside of our closed, private, complimentary Facebook group community, the Sovereign Woman Movement, you can join us there because tomorrow, one day after this podcast airs, I always go live for a live healing session over there. Now there, I'm going to be actually sharing with you specific techniques that have to do with healing of these karmic patterns of sexual abuse, as well as problems with intimacy in general, which address the ojas, which we just talked about. 
And of course, over there, you can absolutely feel free to be vulnerable and share any of your experiences. And of course, if this is resonating with you. So you can click on the link below here in the comments to find us, Sovereign Woman Movement. This is on Facebook. And every week, I host a live healing session that really shares and goes into actual techniques to help you uh, release these imprints from the body, from the mind, and from the spirit. So now that we understand both the scientific and the spiritual perspective of where we're going with this and how we heal our sexual intimacy problems, we have to also understand that there are some really serious pitfalls that most women fall into, especially as it relates to healing their intimacy issues and sexual health. And one of those uh, pitfalls is misinterpreting spiritual teachings on sex as some kind of call of abstinence or some call of non-procreative sexual activity. Not at all. <laughs> sex is not bad. Sex is good for your health. It's good for your body. It's good for your mind when it is combined with intimacy. When you're exchanging your physical body, your ojas, your secretions with somebody that you truly, truly do care for. Because when you do not, that's when we have issues. And why would we share our physical body with someone where there is no emotional connection or intimacy? Well, it goes back to the trauma that we were just talking about, especially if you've been through any kind of sexual abuse patterns. That causes a completely disfigured conception of what sex is, where, again, you might go on the deep end of promiscuity or on the other deep end of complete abstinence because it's painful, horrible experience for you because of what it was mirrored to you as a child. The other pitfall that we need to really pay attention is overlooking the impact of these childhood traumas, especially as it relates to sexual abuse. And also believing, I think so many people believe that they went through sexual abuse and that it's completely unhealable. And it probably has a lot to do with the fact that traditional therapy and pharmaceuticals have such a slow success rate, which uh, it takes us to the third aspect of this pitfall, which is we have to stop neglecting the importance of holistic healing practices. I'm talking about Kundalini Yoga therapy. I'm talking about A Course in Miracles spiritual psychotherapy to address these deep-rooted traumas. Because when we do that, we're not just putting a Band-Aid on the pain. We're literally addressing the root cause. What is the root cause? Your nervous system, your brain, and your inability to forgive and continue to live in fear, which will continue to perpetrate the pattern over and over and over in your life. Which means in order for us to do this, we have got to adopt the right mindset. We've got to acknowledge the interconnectedness of our spiritual beliefs, of our childhood experiences, of our physical bodies. We have to learn to embrace the journey towards healing as a path to reclaiming our own power, our own sovereignty, understanding that transformation is both a spiritual and a physical process and that everything in this world is healable. Everything is. What we just have to do is be willing to show up and do the work. Now, I'd love to encourage you to just reflect on your own personal experiences with intimacy and with trauma as it relates to your sexual health. It's important for us to learn to be honest and vulnerable with ourselves. It's so important also for you to seek out support and to incorporate these daily practices that align with the healing journey, which is why I invite you to join us in our closed complimentary Facebook group, The Sovereign Women Movement, so we can begin the process. 
But in a nutshell, I would love for you to reflect on your own personal experiences or those beliefs about sex and intimacy that have been influenced by past traumas. That is why you have intimacy issues. That is why you have uh, these, these childhood abuse patterns, sexual abuse especially, is why you have sexual health problems. And consider just journaling to get the ball rolling, to start to reflect, to start to engage, to start to not keep those things under the rug, to know that acknowledgement is the first step and to know that everything in this world is healable. I invite you also to share your own personal thoughts and feelings, of course, on today's topic. Put your comments down below here in this channel so that we can together foster a community where dialogue of healing and empowerment and sovereignty is the norm. Now, as we conclude today's uh, podcast episode, remember that healing intimacy and sexual trauma is a very profound journey back to our true selves, our sovereignty, our divine connection with self, with God. So join us on this movement of women reclaiming their sovereignty. We're together in this sacred space. We're supporting each other to our path towards wholeness. Thank you so much for joining me today on this very important subject matter. Let's continue this important conversation and healing together by disrupting the pattern. Thank you so, so much for subscribing, for liking, for sharing with your communities. I'm excited to see you on the next video. Just like mine.